This is the Author Archive podcast. The guest on this episode is Sally Vickers. Her first novel has had a long-lived and very deep popularity. The book is called Miss Garnet's Angel, and it revolves around Venice. I love going to Venice, so when I met Sally, the first simple question was, well, Sally Vickers, do you love Venice too? Of course I love the place. I think, well, I won't say everybody, but I think most people who are in their right minds love Venice. What is it? Is it this otherworldliness? Is it this kind of, this, this cannot be sort of feeling? I think it's the fantastic mix you get. You get the mix between uh, East and West. It was the meeting point of many different worlds. The great trading empires of the East met the great trading empires of the West and the Venetians were uh, marvelous sailors and went everywhere in the world. And then you get this marvelous mix of the secular and the religious. So it's a sort of all in this tiny area bounded by the sea and with no cars, and I think the absence of transport has held it still in time. So it's a kind of fervent microcosm, if you like, of all kinds of different cultures, getting and spending, and at the same time, marvelous, uh, brilliant works of art, and a marvelous natural surround as well. Does it get you every time? I haven't been often enough to be uh, inured to the place. Does it still get you? Well, I find it's like all great love affairs, it gets better with time. I went there first as a very young woman, very resistant. No, I didn't want to go to Venice, it's where tourists went. And I remember vividly landing actually at the station, not coming from the sea as one really should, and walking, spiraling inward towards the center, towards the piazza where San Marco, the great basilica stands. And as I moved towards the center, I felt this sort of teenage rebellion and resistance fading away from me until I came into the piazza and there was San Marco, St. Mark's, which is a, it's not actually a cathedral, people call it the cathedral, the cathedral is somewhere else in Venice, but it's a basilica. And I came to it from across the piazza, came through the portals of the archways around it, and I, w I fell in love really. It, it was a kind of love. And also the message of your book really is it's never too late because your central character, your heroine, doesn't go there until she's retired. No, she doesn't go there. Uh, she's 60, which of course isn't so old these days. Um, and one of the points of the book is to show how at 60 she has a view of herself as somebody who life has really passed by. That sounds a bit of a cliche, but um, as people have been kind enough to say, in fact, it isn't a cliche. As the book goes on, there are surprises. No, it isn't, because this woman, she's been a fervent communist. Yes. And a very idealistic one, really. Idealistic in a kind of narrow-minded yes. <laughs> narrow way. Yes, narrow-minded way. Yes. What's she done to earn her living? She's uh, a teacher of history. She's worked all her life in a school which started as a grammar school and became a comprehensive because she went through that social change. Um, and she's done very little else except teach history. Uh, she lived with a, com a female companion, um, also another teacher, although her companion who dies, and that's the starting point of the book, it's what sets Miss Garnet off, um, is a rather different character and she is somebody we also come to know as the book develops. At least mm. I hope we do. <laughs> yes, so what's the relationship between these two women? 
Well, Julia is the uh, rational one. That's Julia Garnet. Julia Garnet, my heroine, is the rational one. Uh, she's the person who has always felt that everything must be tested, empirical. She has put her faith in communism, which was allegedly a very rational system. Her companion, Harriet, is, as Julia herself comes to see, a bit of a dark horse. Um, she has uh, a liking for frivolity. She has a hat, which Julia Garnet does not throw away or give to the Oxfam box, but in fact takes with her to Venice. And she is responsible for some of the evolution of Julia as she becomes more feminine. Um, she buys herself some silk underwear, and she thinks as she buys it, well, Harriet would have approved. Um, later on in the book, she takes a taxi, which is rather rare for her, and indeed comes to stay in a hotel not unlike this one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why does she decide to go to Venice? Because it's completely out of character, isn't it? Partly because of Harriet. Um, she's put under pressure, and when we're put under a pressure, the death, the loss of this person she shared her life with and had planned to share her retirement with, um, does something to her. So, and Harriet has had this penchant for travel. As she looks through the desk, she finds various coloured advertisements for uh, trips and cruises. One of them is Venice. And put under pressure, the name just pops into her head. Of course, she is a teacher of history, so she would know about Venice. But she's never actually been there because I think for her, in her former life, it would be too much, too rich. And Venice, of course, does have that effect on people. It can overwhelm. And she goes, and she stays not in the touristy bit, not in the touristy centre. Um, what's the description of the area? What's it called? Well, it's, it's near the Chiesa Angelo Raffaelli, which is the church um, dedicated to the Archangel Raphael, who is a very important character in the book. Mm. But it's the maritime area. And the reason the Archangel Raphael is associated with the area is that he was probably brought over from the east by the sailors, and he's the sailors' special angel. That is mentioned in, in the book, um, um, among some other historical details. So it's that part of the city which is associated with the sailors, and therefore it's the more run-down part. Um, when I have been there, and I go there every year, even at the height of the tourist season, which I must admit I try and avoid, there are very, very few people there. You get the Venetians there, the real Venetians. So we get this woman. 60. She's kind of, I, I got the feeling that she was a bit shriveled, really. But then she adds water, you know, you add water, you add Venice. And, and yes, good, good metaphor. Yes. What's, what's so nice is that um, it, it, it's, it's not um, going to lead many, many places, but she falls in love. And you're saying yes. um, that even if you're 60 and probably never been there before, love can hit you. Well, one of the points about her is she has had a father who has made her resentful towards men. Um, I say at the beginning that people sometimes assumed she and her companion were lesbians, but that's very far from the case. She's actually a rather passionate woman, but the passion is concealed within this rather cool recess. Um, and as with many people who fall in love late in life, there is a peculiar intensity attached to um, her affections, as well as an inappropriateness. I don't want to give the game away. No, all right then. Okay, um, y y you talked about 
the the church where she's near. That's why I asked whereabouts she was, because that's very important oh, to the very, plot. Very important, yes. yes. Um, how much of that, why that should be important, how much of that are you prepared to divulge? Oh, I don't mind divulging that part. Yes, all right, well, tell me. <laughs> well, the story has a parallel. Um, it's a book written on two levels. In the church, the Angelo Raffaelli, which is in the campo where she stays, um, and is the church dedicated to the Archangel Raphael. There are a series of paintings by an 18th century painter, one of the Guardi brothers. And the paintings tell the story of Tobias and the angel. And the story of Tobias and the angel is very, very old. It's one of the oldest stories in the world, actually. It dates back to the 8th century BC. So we're talking a very long time ago. And it was originally written down, um, probably by um, a Jewish writer, because it was part of the Jews' holy literature, which didn't get included in their Old Testament. Because when the Jews organized themselves later on, um, really during the first century AD, they excluded various of the old ancient books, probably on the grounds that they were a bit improper. Um, and there are reasons why this story is a bit improper, because it's, I think it's not just a Jewish story, it's an older story than that. I think it's probably an ancient Zoroastrian story, um, which we recognize more as a Persian story. And it tells how the son of a pious Jew goes accompanied by the Archangel Raphael to recover a family debt. And on the way he meets with various adventures, and among the adventures he meets with is a young woman with whom he falls in love, who is possessed by a devil who has murdered every man who has tried to consummate marriage with her. So seven men have died in the effort to uh, sexually penetrate this girl. And eventually, the hero of this story, Tobias, is enabled to do so through the good offices of the Archangel Raphael. You can see why it got excluded from the holy literature <laughs> when people got a bit more straight-laced. Now, my heroine, Miss Julia Garnett, really falls in love with this story. And as she starts to unravel the meaning of the story, the events of the story start to appear, I hope quite subtly, people have been kind enough to say so, in her own life. So you get a sort of parallel story of Tobias and the Archangel Raphael creeping into her own story. And Venice is actually filled with representations of that story and of the Archangel Raphael, rather beautiful pictures and statues and so on. And as the story unfolds, the presence of, of Raphael makes himself felt in my story. So you're passionate about the city mm -hmm. and you're passionate obviously about this tale. I'm very passionate about this tale. I can get quite boring about no, it. No, <laughs> what, what is it about this then that resonates so strongly with the soul of Sally? Um, well, I love ancient stories. I always did. Um, I was actually brought up as a communist, which is perhaps one of the reasons I make her a communist. And as a result of that, one of my very first recollections is somebody pointing at a picture of Jesus Christ and saying, you see that man? Don't believe a word they tell you about him. So naturally, I fell in love with religious stories and used to sort of read them rather furtively. Um, so I've always been very interested by religious stories because they had that forbidden element for me. It's the other way around from most people. 
Um, so I'm drawn to them for that reason. But I think this story is what I call an archetypal story. And it's about the only occasion that we have a representation of the archangel Raphael. And Raphael's an interesting angel. We know about the angel Gabriel because he appears to the Virgin Mary to tell her that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And we know about the archangel Michael because he defends heaven from all um, the bad angels. But we hear the name of, of the angel Raphael. We don't really know much about him. And this is the only story, the only thing written down that we have about him. He appears in one other book, also one that the Jews dropped from their um, scriptures. And he's thought to be the angel who hovered over uh, the waters at Bethsaida, where the miracle of one of Christ's healing miracles occurred. And he is, in fact, the angel of healing. His name in Greek means God's healing. And one of the things that draws me to the story is that it is a story about healing. That's rather an overworked word these days, but in the deepest sense, um, it suggests that we're all available to be healed if we want to be. And I think that's why I'm so sympathetic to the angel Raphael. And just pulling back as we conclude, Venice is not a coy place about sensuality, Ooh, is it? Absolutely not. No. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know there was one big um, statue, as I see, as I remember it from the book, um, on the Grand Canal. Ah, oh, you mean in the Peggy Guggenheim? There's an, yes. a, a statue called the Angel of the City, and it's an angel on horseback, and he has an enormous erection, <laughs> um, which is. But detachable. Detachable in case that parties from the Vatican or elsewhere should care to descend on the museum. I hope it's most of the time up there, so to speak. Well, it's always been up there when I've been there. <laughs> so to speak, yes. <laughs> it's a, a, a gloriously engrossing um, and uh, very unusual novel. Miss Garnet's Angel is published by HarperCollins. It's by Sally Vickers. Sally, thank you. Thank you, David. That was a very good experience. Back tomorrow with another one.